Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your people. I thank you for the gift of your word given to your people. And I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit through whom this word, when it is proclaimed, can awaken dead hearts to life and can strengthen your people to persevere and endure in the face of a world constantly pulling us towards idols. And I pray that your word, as it is proclaimed this morning, would be that gift of help through the power of your spirit to us, that what is human, what is fallible would fade away, and that the gospel would shine forth clearly for the good work for which you have given it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Today, continuing through our survey of 2 Chronicles, we will consider the reign of King Asa, our next son of David, the next king in the line of David's descendants to receive the promises that God has given to David to pass those on to another generation. The chronicler gives us the account of Asa in a roughly symmetrical structure, um, and, and this would be a common feature in Jewish writing to point us to the center of the story where we might find the meaning. So let's begin with the beginning of this story reading 2 Chronicles chapter 14, 2 Chronicles 14. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and broke down the pillars, and cut down the asherim. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord had given him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor." Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merishah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. 
So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Thus far, the word of the Lord. That's a pretty encouraging read, isn't it? I'm sure it would have been a very encouraging read for that post-exilic Jewish community who were the first recipients of the book of Chronicles. Asa is looking like a pretty great king. He's even looking a little bit like another David, isn't he? A son of David modeled after his ancestor. I am sure this is the thrill that the account would have given those first readers. And we see many ways that the people are enjoying very similar blessings to those they enjoyed in the time of David. God is giving victory under Asa. He is bringing peace and prosperity. And the king has a sweet relationship with the Lord. That's our first point this morning. Through Asa, God's people had hope that they would enjoy God's blessings and promises. The account of Asa opens in Chronicles with a pretty common formula that we see often in Kings and often find in Chronicles as well, which gives us right off the bat an assessment of the king and his reign. We know right from the beginning, that Asa is a king who did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And as a reader, you almost breathe this sigh of relief. Okay, good king. We got a good king here. We're going to read about the reign of a good king. And then we see some of those early actions that characterized this good and righteous reign of Asa. Asa builds up and fortifies cities in Judah. He commands the people to follow the law of the Lord. He even tears down the high places. And as you read through Kings or Chronicles, you see that that really is a sign of a king who's ready to do what many other good kings, even faithful kings, struggled to accomplish. But what you see at the beginning of the narrative, what you see throughout this chapter, is that the primary actor in Asa's reign is not Asa. It is God. We see that time and again. The Lord brought peace. The Lord did this. And Asa knows it. He tells his people, let's build these cities, surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. This land is ours. Why? Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So, because the Lord had given them peace on every side, so they built and prospered. So Asa acknowledges, he recognizes that his prosperity, his success as a king is only possible because of God and God's action for his people. This dependence that Asa shows, this total submission to God, to let God be the one who is acting in Asa's reign, it's epitomized, it's, it's shown best in this battle with Ethiopia. Now, we see that Asa, the successful king, has grown a, a pretty significant army in Judah. But Zerah the Ethiopian has a bigger army. A thousand thousands, as it is in the literal text, and 300 chariots. 
So Asa goes to war with Zerah, and as he draws up his battle lines, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. However mighty or weak a man is, there is none like the Lord to help. So help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name. We have come up against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So here we get this beautiful look into the heart of Asa in his greatest need. In the moment when a man would have been most driven to look for strength in this world, to look to his own strength, he calls upon God with this childlike dependence. He is trusting that God can accomplish whatever he pleases. He really looks like a son of David here, doesn't he? He's enjoying those promises that God made to David about his descendants, that they could call upon God as a father and God would treat them like sons. And God does indeed respond to Asa's dependent prayer. Our chronicler tells us on no uncertain terms who won the battle that day. Zerah didn't, and Asa didn't. The Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. As Asa and his men plunder the Ethiopians, the chronicler even calls them the Lord and his army. So Asa now enjoys victory, prosperity, fame, though he knows that none of this has come from himself. It is through absolute dependence on God. This account builds up to chapter 15, the center of our story, where we see clearly articulated the heart of what the author wants the readers of Chronicles to take away from the reign of Asa. So let's read 2 Chronicles 15 now. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces, nation was crushed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words of the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken from the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. 
They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave rest all around. Even Makah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts of silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Thus far, the word of the Lord. So now we see most clearly expressed what this narrative, the life of Asa, has been building towards. The prophet Azariah goes to the king and tells him that if he seeks God, God will be found by him. And Asa is hearing this prophecy while his men are covered in victory, are weighed down by spoils from the battle in which they declared their trust in the Lord, dragging mounds of evidence back to Israel of how faithful God is to those who seek him. But Azariah balances this with a warning. But if you forsake God, he will forsake you. He tells Asa, look back on Israel's history. Remember the cycle through the book of Judges when the people forsake the Lord and time and again are overtaken by their enemies, are disciplined by God, and then are restored when they cry out in repentance. So Asa can see evidence that this is clearly true. Azariah closes by telling Asa to take courage. Do not let his hands be weak. But in this case, strength is not a matter of fighting by your own power. It's a matter of unwavering dependence and trust. It's a strength which could be exemplified by a child. The strength to trust God when we are tempted to put our trust in the things we can see around us. So in the eyes of God, the greatest and the most powerful kings through whom God's people would know the greatest blessing are not defined by their personal accomplishment, but by their childlike trust. Asa is looking more like David than ever. The military might, the prosperity, and then this special charge from God's own mouth to depend on him. And Asa's response to this prophecy only furthers the comparison. He puts away more idolatry from the land, and he repairs the altar in the temple. A few verses later, we see that gold and vessels and gifts are added to the temple. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but we start to see this theme arise in Chronicles, how the temple becomes a visible picture of the state of the king and the nation because it will show how much they care for the Lord's house, how much they are ready to seek the Lord. And thus, as Azariah has said, we know how much the Lord in turn will respond to and bless the people. Remember Solomon's prayer when the temple was first dedicated. Let this be the place where we come and seek you and call out to you. And if we do so, then Lord, answer us. Under Rehoboam, you saw that the glory of the temple began to diminish but now, under Asa, the temple is restored. 
this wonderful sign of a king who seeks the Lord and cares deeply for the Lord's presence among the people, that the Lord would be found by them. Next, Asa receives many faithful people from Israel who are coming back to join with Judah to those who we heard last week are the ones who still hold to the promises to David and to the house of Aaron. The chronicler tells us great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with Asa. So because of this faithfulness, God is bringing back many Israelites who were among the people that had forsaken God. This is looking like messianic work, isn't it? Beautiful work of reconciling those who were lost and estranged back into the people of God. And then Asa gathers all this people, including those Israelites who have joined with Judah, and they lavishly sacrifice all these gifts that have come in from Ethiopia. And then the chronicler says, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. This looks very much like a renewal of the covenant relationship established in the book of Exodus, a beautiful return to that foundational relationship that God laid out with his people at Mount Sinai. Asa has repaired God's house. He's gathered the elect from the northern kingdom, and then through the faithfulness of the king, all the people enjoyed renewed faithfulness and commitment to God and his law. And the whole land benefits and is blessed by the faithfulness of the king. And then as an added note, the chronicler tells us that Asa even deposed his mother from her official position as queen mother because of her idolatry. And I think this note is given last because in many ways it demonstrates the height of faithfulness and righteousness. Many of us have seen that our trust to God, our commitment to his word is most tested when it is our family who opposes it, who would desire us to turn away from it. Many people who have stood many tests fall when their family pressures them to turn from the Lord. So in Asa's faithfulness, even in the face of his own mother's idolatry, we get this beautiful height of his commitment to seek the Lord. We only have one single negative note, that the high places remained in Israel, likely in those cities that Asa had taken from the northern kingdom. But then we get this final verdict on the reign of Asa from the chronicler, who says... The heart of Asa was wholly true all of his days. So we have this wonderful account of a faithful son of David who enjoys both great blessing himself and whose people enjoy great blessing because he is committed to seek and entrust himself to God. How nice if the account of Asa had ended here. Let us read 2 Chronicles 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, 
And there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijan, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe, yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David, they laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. Isn't that just a little disappointing? Well, Asa certainly does not descend into that kind of utter wickedness that we are going to see by the end of Chronicles. The hope, the prosperity, the blessing that dependence on God that characterized his earlier reign makes this final note feel so deflating. And that's our second point this morning. Asa's reign leaves us disappointed that he failed to persevere in faithfulness. The northern kingdom's making advances against Judah, and they're cutting off those who would come into Judah, and Asa takes all those treasures that he had only just brought into the temple, and he brings them back out. And he sends them all to Ben-Hadad in Syria, and he declares his covenant with Syria. This is a visible demonstration taking place of Asa's heart. That temple is again showing the state of the king's relationship with the Lord. And Asa is taking everything that he had given to God, including his trust, and he's handing it to Syria. He's handing it to the powers that he can see around him. He's going to trust men to help him succeed against Israel. And this stands in clear contrast, as Hanani will tell him, with his earlier battle against Ethiopia. It's almost inexplicable. How could Asa, when he was younger, be so trusting against such a great enemy? Watch God prove faithful beyond his imagining. And yet in this conflict which in some ways represents a smaller threat, give up trusting the Lord and put his trust in Syria. Just furthering this contrast with his younger self, Asa continues to deteriorate as a king 
when Hanani warns him that because he did not trust the Lord, peace will be removed from him, Asa gets angry. He doesn't repent. He punishes Asa, he put, or Hanani. He puts him in the stocks. And when Asa becomes sick later in life, he refuses to seek the Lord. The rebuke against Asa here is not from seeking the help of physicians. It's that he rejected trusting in God. That in doing so, he said, these are the people that I will trust. I will not rely on the Lord. He still depends on what he sees around him. He no longer treats God as the one who holds all things in his hand, the one who sees all and knows all, as Hanani says, and can dispense blessings as he chooses. Can you feel the weight of the disappointment? A mighty king who so beautifully relied upon God, who looked like another David, starts to waver in his confidence, and then we just watch his reign peter out, unable to hold the course, unable to keep his hands strong in trusting God. The readers of Chronicles years later would take stock of this account of Asa, and they would be drawn to the center to the prophecy of Azariah to understand what was happening in the reign of Asa. When Azariah says, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The post-exilic community of Israel would have certainly felt the weight of that charge. They had watched history unfold between Asa and their own time and had seen example after example to demonstrate the truthfulness of what Azariah said. They would have felt as though this choice laid before them as well. Ezra at this time was calling the people of God to return to the law, to worship faithfully in this new temple they had constructed, to put away the syncretism that had come in through marriage with non-believers. This simple contrast from Azariah feels very real and tangible to us as well, doesn't it? We feel the pull of a culture that does not want us to seek the Lord, that tells us to put our hope in what is in front of us, in what is powerful today. Even if we have clear evidence from history that power and morality in this world shifts with incredible uncertainty and rapidity. We know that the ruling dynasties of our culture can be toppled in seconds. If someone told you that you had to put your trust in any moral, political, social stance in this world or community in this world and trust that that would be the place where you could be secure all your life, I would be very afraid to put my hope in anything. I don't think you could find somewhere in this world where you could feel certain, where you felt that this was a good and lasting place to keep your hope. And yet, despite this clear proof that the world is so uncertain and changeable, we feel such strong pressure in the moment with each new ideology, with each new dynasty in our culture to take our hope off the unchangeable, eternal, almighty God and put it onto what is strong and prominent in the moment. And we do watch so many people give in to that pressure, don't we? 
You might have even known in your lifetime people who are dear to you, maybe even role models and examples and leaders who now look to you a great deal like Asa. They might have discipled us, taught us to look to the Lord, to trust in him, to lean on his word. They looked to you like people who were standing against the tide, Maybe they had even proven their mettle against some false teacher in the past or some powerful cultural movement that was pressuring the church. And then a new challenge came or the pressure increased and you watched this person that you had trusted in waver and maybe even fall. Their dependence and their hope seemed to shift off of God onto worldly things. They took their treasures out of the temple and they gave them to Syria. I have seen examples of this. I know that many of you have. And it's fair to say that this is far more painful than dealing with someone who you never expected anything from or put any trust in. Maybe you yourself have even felt a little bit like an Asa. You were holding fast. Maybe you even got a little bit confident in your own ability to hold on. And then that pressure came from a direction you didn't expect. An idol was challenged that you had not noticed, that you had left standing and had not confronted, and suddenly you found yourself fearful. Fearful of what you would lose in this world, buckling in the face of opposition and wondering how you could save face in the culture around you. You found yourself ashamed of Christ and his gospel. What do we do when we experience this disappointment with others and with ourselves? In the case of Asa, it is worth noting this strange contradiction. Because despite his later failings, we already have the final verdict on his reign from the chronicler. Why does he begin the account by saying Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God? How can he say the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days? The chronicler even closes the account of Asa with this lavish funeral that shows how the people desired to honor Asa, how they loved him as a good king. In final analysis, Asa is treated as a good son of David. But how can a man like Asa, who even cost his people so much, be judged good and faithful? There is not a promise here that we can ignore God and repudiate his promises, that we can reject him. We are going to encounter wicked kings before Chronicles is over. And they will serve as a warning to us. We should even be warned by Asa's response to the rebuke of Hanani. There is a warning here against presumption, assuming that your prior faithfulness means that you have not shifted your trust onto worldly things. This is one of the reasons that God has given you his church. Asa's refusal to repent and his punishment of Hanani for warning him just manifoldly increases his folly. If your brother making use of God's scriptures comes to you with similar help from God to warn you that your confidence seems to be shifting, do not let your first response be pride. Listen to your brother 
and search God's scriptures to see if your brother has been a gift to you from God in this matter, to guard your soul. Remember that on this side of eternity, no one except Jesus demonstrates their wisdom by living a perfect life. We demonstrate wisdom when we heed correction and repent. And God receives and delights in our repentance. Which brings us back to Asa. Why can Asa be judged faithful despite his decline? God was patient with him. He was faithful even when Asa struggled to seek him. Even in light of Azariah's earlier charge to Asa to seek God, God was so gracious to Asa even while there were real and painful consequences for his later sin. God was gracious to Asa because Israel's hope was never ultimately bound up in Asa. Even when Asa was faithful, it was painfully clear, wasn't it, that he was accomplishing nothing for Israel. It was always the Lord. And even when the Lord disciplined Asa and Israel because of their reliance wavering, he was using Asa just as he was using these other sons of David to clearly point the readers of Chronicles, to point us to their hope, their coming Messiah, who would never waver in his reliance upon God, who would face the greatest enemies and trials that this world has ever known and would not turn to the left or to the right. If we trust the chronicler, and we do, then we will assess Asa as a man who did desire to depend on the Lord, whose heart was given to God, but who did stumble and fall in weakness and foolishness in his later years. But God could be gracious to Asa and to every biblical hero that stumbled, judging faithful the Abrahams and the Lots and the Davids and the Asas, and also be gracious to us, to not let go of us, because the perfect king was coming after Asa, who would be totally faithful in his life on behalf of anyone who simply trusted in him, whether they were looking forward to his coming and holding on to promises like Asa, or looking back on what he has accomplished as we do now, the salvation that came through the greater son of David. The Apostle Peter tells us how Jesus was faithful even to die on the cross for our sin because he had totally and unwaveringly entrusted himself to God. Peter says in chapter 2, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this is our concluding point this morning. We have considered the hope that men like Asa gave Israel. We've considered the disappointment that came through their weaknesses, and now we can return to a greater and more secure hope.
Our lasting hope is in the constant faithfulness of Jesus, who entrusted himself unwaveringly to God. On final analysis, none of us has proven worthy of trust. We all have wandered and strayed like sheep. If you are here this morning and are not a Christian, I expect even you, in your own way, have understood that this is true. You have been let down in your life, even by yourself. You are learning that there is no one in this world who you can completely entrust yourself to. No one in history can ever stand up and say, I am a safe place to put your hope. No one except Jesus. Jesus did not waver in his perfect commitment to faithfulness, to righteousness, to trust in God all the days of his life. Even in his worst torment, when he was scorned and reviled, he did not revile in return. When they lied about him and beat him and unjustly accused him, he did not scorn them in return. He did not for a moment stoop to threatening his tormentors because he entrusted himself unfailingly to God. And this makes him the only one we can perfectly entrust ourselves to, where you can rest in him, knowing that he will never change. He died on a cross and rose for disappointments and failures, like you and me and Asa. So that even we, who have failed to impress God, who have failed to impress each other, who have failed to impress ourselves, can simply put our trust in him and know certain and lasting peace with God. Only call out to him, and he will be faithful. And then, Christian, in our Savior, we find not only grace for us when we have stumbled and fallen in weakness and failed to persevere, but we find help to run the course without wavering. It is only by the Spirit that any of us will persevere in hope and trust. It is only because Jesus was faithful to put Satan behind him, even when his friends called upon him to turn from the way. Faithful to go to the cross despite every opposition. It is only because that is true that we also can take up our cross and follow him. Peter, even that one, who had earlier told Jesus, let it not be that you will go to the cross. Peter, later in life, can tell us that Christ died so that we can die to sin and live to righteousness, so that we can strengthen our hands in the strength that he supplies and trust in him and depend upon him and, and seek his grace when we have faltered, knowing that he has offered himself for failures and disappointments like us. Let that love of his faithfulness and grace spur us on all the more to seek him, to never want to turn from him. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us not waver, for he is faithful, because he has not wavered 
in his grace to us and his faithfulness to us. Let us hold fast. But let us not forget, never forget, that if we falter, if we face disappointment from those who have fallen around us, we can keep our hearts entrusted to the one who will never change, the one who will never disappoint us. We walk by grace, and we even offer grace to those who have disappointed us, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for his faithfulness, God has blessed him and his people. Just as Asa's early faithfulness meant great blessing and peace and prosperity for his people, the eternal faithfulness of Christ is our hope that despite all of our sin and our need of grace, you and I will be kept by him to enjoy everything that he deserves, an eternal kingdom of peace and glory, a lasting city built up by Jesus that will never be torn down, establishing an eternal place with God, populated by failures and disappointments saved by the grace of Jesus a place where we will forever praise our God for all that he has done, and our King Jesus, who is so faithful to God and to us and will be forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the faithfulness of Jesus. We know that we look a lot more like Asa at times, inexplicably turning from the God who has proven so faithful and shifting our trust, taking our treasures out of the temple and giving them to the world around us. Oh God, forgive us. Draw us back. But may we know that we have grace, that when we waver, we can repent and return to you and strengthen our hands in dependence upon you again because Jesus Christ never wavered. We thank you that he was faithful even to die on the cross, to bear the punishment for our sin, and that he was raised from the dead, break, breaking the chains of sin, the curse of death, that disappointments and failures like us can put our hope in him, be justified, even sanctified, and certainly glorified to delight in the eternal blessings of his kingdom that we have never deserved but can know because he has deserved them and has been faithful to you and to us. And we praise him for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.